Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. A day of victory and celebration. He is risen. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He is risen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He is risen. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We celebrate the victory of the Lord today. We celebrate his goodness. Thank you, dear God. Hallelujah for this victorious day. Praise the Lord. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering of praise. Thanking him for the victory of this day. Powerful victory. Powerful victory. Powerful victory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. What a wonderful day to worship and celebrate the Lord. Church, you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have a wonderful opportunity today to celebrate that the tomb is empty, that Jesus has conquered, and we have promises being fulfilled for us as well on this very special day. This is not a regular Sunday, not regular in many ways, but most particularly that this is the day that we celebrate, we commemorate, we remember that the tomb is empty. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. The shout of victory through all eternity that Jesus has conquered. Amen. Church, last week, or rather last Friday, we left the Lord hanging on the cross, his dead body there. He had finished the seven phrases that he declared from the cross of Calvary, and we preached that last week. And on Good Friday, he uttered his last, and he commended his spirit to the Father, and his body was left there. And we remember the sadness of of that day. In fact, the very next day, Saturday, is, is called the Saturday of Silence or Silent Saturday because the death of Jesus was so overwhelming, so impactful. In fact, when we remember Friday's preaching and teaching on the seven words, that nature reacted. Darkness filled the sky. It was just an incredibly lonely moment. Even his disciples had scattered and only his mom and a few of his select followers were there with him. And in that moment where he just uh, went on and gave his spirit, because he had control until the very last moment, into the hands of the Father, we left the Lord hanging there on the cross, his body there. And to fill the gap from Saturday to this morning, the body was taken down. There was confusion in the air as to what was going on. The authorities didn't know. And they were also filled with confusion and even with suspect. Uh, some of the believers were not sure that although Jesus had said, you destroyed this temple and in three days I will bring it back, referring to his crucifixion, even some of his followers weren't sure of those instructions. And certainly the religious leaders and the authorities of the time were also very concerned, even though they did not accept Christ as the promised Messiah. And even though they still had doubt about the promises that he had made, they were still not sure. In fact, finally, we find a man from, from the periphery comes and claims the body of Jesus, and he takes the body of Jesus, and they put him, the body in a tomb. 
But even there, there's this air of suspicion surrounding uh, the, the, the circles of government, the circles of religiosity, and even his followers as well, as what is going to happen. There was a, almost a, a silence in the air. Uh, no utterances were giving. Nature was kind, kind of hiding away as well. And they put him in a grave. And then because the authorities were so filled with fear and concern that maybe, just maybe, what he said might be true and he might try to resurrect or worse maybe someone would come and steal his body and then say look he resurrected just like he had promised the authorities decided to to seal the tomb so a huge stone was placed in front of the, the tomb not only that but the surrounding it was actually plastered or cemented in place they put that, that cement all around the, the tomb. And then even the reigning authority at that time put the signet of his ring. The symbol of this ring was imprinted into the cement, demonstrating that this was being covered by the authorities because they were afraid just in case. In fact, they were so fearful that they assigned guards to watch over. Now, isn't this amazing to me? It's astounding that during the time that Jesus was alive, preaching what he was preaching, preaching the good news, coming against the powers that be, uh, speaking justice to power, and making the religious leaders uncomfortable, making even the, the authorities and the governing officials uh, uh, uncomfortable. Not once, not once do we find in the narrative of the Gospels that they assign guards to protect him or the people. But here he is dead, and they were so fearful of the dead Jesus that they decide not only to put the stone, cover it with cement in the edges, have the symbol of the authority imprinted in the cement, but also then had a guard watching over the dead Jesus because they were worried. They were not sure of what was going to happen now. Would his promises be fulfilled? Will the things that he said actually become a reality? And then this takes us, church, to, to understand that even today, there's so much debate. If there's ever controversy among people that study religion and faith, one of the points of contention is actually the promise of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because you have to remember that every religious leader that has ever lived, every religious leader that has died, their bodies are still found where they were buried. Jesus is the only one that did what he promised that he was going to do. And that was come back to life. The resurrection cast Jesus in a whole different place than any other religious leader, than any other spiritual leader. Why? Because the tomb could not hold him. And today there's controversy, but let me submit to you that uh, if we study the narrative in the Gospels, this is one of the few events that we find that is included in the narrative of all the four Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all include a portion of their perspective into the resurrection scene. And it's interesting because from each of them, we get a different kind of view, a kind of look at the same event that took place. This is what's called the, the harmony of the Gospels. That the Gospels, although they don't include every story in every single one of the four Gospels, this one is included. You know why? Because the resurrection is so critical and, and, and a crucial element of our belief in our Christian walk that the Holy Spirit in, inspired all four authors to include it in their writings so that we will have the benefit of emphasis 
from four different perspectives. So follow me for a few moments as I uh, take some time and look at the perspective, four different perspectives of the empty tomb from the eyes of the writers of the gospel. From each one of them, I just wanted to extract a portion of their view, a portion of what they experienced, a portion of, they wrote, of what they wrote, uh, to give us a glimpse and maybe a flavor, an expanded flavor of their interpretation, their view, their perspective of how the resurrection took place. And I submit to you that as we explore these, we'll see that there is not much different back then to what is happening right now. The very first thing that I see, of course, is found in the book of Matthew, because let's go in sequence. Matthew, Mark, and then we'll go to Luke, and then we'll go to John. And let me just extract one nugget from each one of them as we see the unfolding of these four perspectives. The first one is, is that the empty tomb represented a place of fear. A fear. Look at what he says in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 8, but I want to target specifically verses 4 and verses 8. The narrative, let me read it up to four. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and, 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 and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I like that. Rolled back the stone because the authorities had placed the stone and had sealed it. But here an angel of the Lord came down and rolled back the stone and sat on it. That term sat on it means that there's no higher authority. That's all it means. Heaven has the last word. Heaven has the last call. And look at verse 3. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And this is the key verses that I want to, I want to focus on. On The empty tomb was a place of fear. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Remember what I just said a few moments ago. The guards were placed there to guard a dead man, a dead body. Yet these powerful, strong men were afraid of a dead man. I guess they remembered and saw that when he died, the earth shook, the rock split open, the dead came back to life. I guess they remembered all of a sudden when they're standing there that this man was the one that that centurion friend's, friend of theirs said, surely this has to be the one. And they shook in their boots. They didn't wear boots, they wore sandals. Shook in their sandals when they observed that they were guarding the Messiah, the promised Messiah. And they fainted. I always find it kind of slightly humorous. Here, I can visualize big burly you know, uh, muscle-bound soldiers all of a sudden fainted at the presence of a dead man. That's amazing to me. And so fear was part of what the empty tomb represented, but not only for the guards. If we continue reading and jump down to 8, even down there, let's look at 7, then they quickly, uh, then go quickly and tell the disciples that were being told, the women, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you, and look at this verse 8. So the women, the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. I want to get to that. The women who were the first ones to go to the tomb, the women who were the ones that saw him first, the women who were the first evangelists, if you will, because they ran back to tell the disciples that he is truly risen. The women... They hurried to the tomb, and yet they were filled with fear, yet filled with joy. So 
let me explain that because I, I'm, I'm stating to you that the empty tomb represented, according to Matthew, a place of fear. The guards were filled with fear. They felt faint and they fell to the ground. The women were also filled with fear because they witnessed these powerful guards fainting and falling to the ground. So initially they had the same reaction, but then they thought for a moment why they went there. They went to minister, to anoint the body of Christ. They went to serve. And all of a sudden it seems like they were captured not by fear, but the fear was actually counterbalanced by the joy that they felt about the promises of the Messiah becoming true. Oh, I need to insert a hallelujah and an amen right there because that speaks to me that there was a marked difference between these burly men protecting the dead body to these women coming to anoint the body for a moment being impacted by the surrounding but then catching themselves and saying, wait a minute, this is a reason for joy. You know, today is the same thing. Some people get overly sad with regard to the resurrection and Jesus in the tomb. And we have to catch ourselves and say, wait a minute, he needed to die so that you and I can live. He needed to die so that the promises of God the Father can be fulfilled. He needed to die to arrest the powers of darkness. He needed, and that should create a joy inside of us. And that joy in the women became the fuel for them to accomplish what they accomplished in the latter part of verse 8. It says in verse 8, and then they ran to tell the disciples. They did not run in fear. They started out in fear, but the fear was converted because of joy inside of them and the assurances of the promise of God to become the evangelists. But here, this passage highlights for us that for in, in Matthew's perspective, it was a place of fear. The angel of the Lord caused a dramatic scene. He came from heaven directly to the tomb, rolled back the stone, sat on it. The military guards fainted, strong men melted. The women were filled with fear, yet joyfully. If your motives are pure, and if our motives are, are pure, we will be filled today with reverent joy. We will, our motives, if they are correct, we will not block that Jesus out of us, and we will not drop dead before him. We will drop before him, but in worship and adoration of the resurrected Christ, because he is risen. The perspective from Mark is an other interesting one. Because Matthew went forward with this perspective of fear. And then with the women, fear changed into joy. But the second perspective is from Mark. Mark 16, verses 1 through 3. Let me read it to you because this one is that Mark paints for us a picture that the empty tomb was an obstacle. An obstacle. Look at this. Verse 1 through uh, 3, Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, here's the obstacle, who will roll away the stone? Even though they had followed Jesus, even though and particularly in the case of, of Mary, they were there in his last moments, even though they believed him as the promised one, when they, and even though they were motivated to go and anoint the body of Christ. It's amazing. Yet still inside, there was an obstacle inside of them because they were worried about the stone. 
Now, if Jesus was so powerful to do what he did up to that point, why would the stone be such an obstacle? Because the obstacle wasn't there. Because Jesus didn't see that as an obstacle. God the Father didn't see that as an obstacle. It was his followers that saw an obstacle, which in reality, when you pull back to the power of the resurrected Christ, and even the power of the Christ that had passed away, that had given his spirit, the stone was no obstacle. I submit to you the following. Oftentimes, we put obstacles in the way which are of our own making. We put obstacles to the resurrected Christ that, and it's, it's, sometimes it's ridiculous stuff. The service is too early, it's too late, We're, uh, it's too long, it's too short, or now. What will be the argument? The argument, you don't have to come in. You can listen to the preaching of the word on this resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday, from the comfort of your home. What could be the obstacle? Because they're oftentimes of our own making. It isn't God. It isn't even the context. Is you and I, here are the women who saw him first. Here are the women who became the first evangelist. Yet there was an obstacle before them. Who will roll away the storm? Yes, the text is clear with regard to the role of women. The, the text is clear with regard to the power of the resurrected Christ. In fact, we, you and I, need to serve to do the best in, in our ability uh, toward God and toward service of God and his people and not focus on the obstacles. You know, the, the reality is, if I were to focus on the obstacle, we would not be coming to you right now through technology. Because we would come up with all these excuses why we shouldn't. If we were talking about obstacles, we would focus so much on, well, this is what the rules say, and this is what people say, and this is what the, the government says, and I think we should submit to government and work toward keeping our people safe. But in reality, if we think about the obstacles, some of us don't even get up in the morning, don't even motivate ourselves to move forward, but they're of our own making. The resurrected Christ will take care of removing those obstacles. If we can go to him, just as the women, the intention was to anoint his body. Go in service. God will take away the obstacles. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So Matthew says that it was fear and joy. Mark says it was an obstacle. Luke, the third writer of the Gospels, presents to us that the empty tomb was actually a place of remembrance. Remembrance, Luke 24, 1 through 8, and it goes through a similar narrative as the others. On the first day of the week, early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and it goes on, but I want to I jump to verse 5. In their fright, the women bowed, bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Verse 6. He is not here. He has risen. And here's the key word. Remember how he told you. Jump with me to verse 8, where the women have to then, then they said, remember, and then they remembered his words, the women. Church, the empty tomb represents for us remembrance. I want to tell you something right now that applies to me and everyone listening to me right now. I was not there when Jesus resurrected from the dead. Neither were you. The only way we can go back and let that inspire us is to remember. Go back to the words that the Lord said to us through the Bible and through our experience and journey and our relationship with him. 
It is the remembering, the putting back together of all of those pieces of what he says that helps us get through right now. Our moment of disbelief, our moment of, of fracturing our faith is right now in what we're living in. This moment of this, uh, this sickness and pandemic circling the globe and stopping us from doing so many things, right? What we need to do right now is not focus on what we can't do, but we need to focus on what he has done for us. Remember, we can't focus on what medical science cannot do in making us better, and we need to remember that by his stripes we are healed. Uh, if we think too much on the current and we think too much on the cloud that is covering right now, it'll paralyze us. But if we think about the resurrected Christ, the, the cross of Calvary, what Jesus did for us, we bring that into remembrance. Then, then we know that all things are possible in him, that our faith in him will continue to grow. The two men were clothed gleaming like lightning. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you. The women remembered his words. Today, my brothers and sisters, church, today, let the empty tomb cause you and me to remember what Jesus did for us. So Matthew tells us about fear. Mark tells us about obstacles. Luke tells us to remember. Those are the three synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptic, because that means they are synchronized with each other. They're stories that share and unfold for us the fullness of what was happening. John stands alone. John is not one of the synoptics. John stands alone. It's called the other gospel. What does John say? John is critical. John just shows us 30, 30 days of the life of Jesus. That's all it includes. What, what, what is he telling us? John tells us, please follow me for a moment. His perspective is because there's four perspectives. His perspective is that the empty tomb was a place of criminality. It was a place of a crime. Early on the first day of the week, while it was dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the, tomb had been, the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said... Look at this. Here's the crime. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. The fear on both sides is that someone was going to steal the body of Jesus. The, the authorities put the stone in the guards because they were afraid his followers were going to come and steal the body and said, see, he resurrected. When in reality, according to the authorities, he did not. The followers of Jesus were afraid that the authorities were going to come and steal the body and then to say, see, he did not really resurrect. We had the body. A place of criminality, John highlights for us. Someone stole the body. In fact, I can say with, uh, and be contextually correct, that we think we have conspiracy theories now. <laughs> There's a conspiracy theory right there. A conspiracy theory that even today is still alive. Today, one of the major debates in school of biblical teaching one of the major events when it comes to Holy Week and Resurrection Sunday, one of the major points is various aspects of why he did not resurrect from the dead. 
I think it's fascinating. We think it's just back then, but even today, this, this and even they, they give credence to his body being stolen. They give credence that he, he fell into the stupor, this, uh, this uh, uh, ecstasy of sleep, and all of a sudden his body woke up, and in reality he wasn't really resurrected. But I choose to believe. There comes a moment where you have to draw the line. You listen to the arguments, you understand where they're coming from, you, you, you get a, a, a basis of informing yourself, and then you make a decision on what you're going to believe. I choose to believe that he was dead, and now he's alive. I choose to believe that he was in the tomb, and then he resurrected. The power of God came down, and he was resurrected. I choose to believe that unlike so much that we see and experience, Jesus was not only telling the truth, but he was the truth. Someone didn't steal his body. Emotions and grief got the best of the, wo the women and the other followers at that time. You and I today need to be careful with what others are saying about the empty tomb. You know what you have been taught and you know what you have experienced. That it was not a place of criminality. It was a place of victory. But, but permit me, please, please, because I said four, but I have another observation that comes out of John that I think applies to now, and then after this I'll conclude. If I can just recapitulate, the, the Gospels tell us the following. The empty tomb represented fear. The empty tomb represented, according to Mark, an obstacle. And, the rep and, and according to Luke, it represented a place of remembrance. And according to John, I, a point is that it represented a place of criminality. But John also shows us something very, very interesting that aligns to our today. John 20, 15, and 17 says that the empty tomb was also a place of social distancing. Yep, social distancing. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Now, that wasn't just a Mary. He said it with the inflection in his voice that she knew that that was a, not a gardener, that that was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then she started to do what she has always done when she was in the presence of Jesus. It's like you and I, we start to do this all the time. The text tells us that Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me. Because she, when she found out it was Jesus, she went over to embrace him. Now, haven't you gone through that? I know I have. Over the last few weeks, uh, I can't wait till this is over. I have, I have people that I owe hugs to. I owe hugs to my wife. I owe, uh, owe hugs to my, my granddaughters. I, there's people I owe hugs to. But for that moment, Mary could not hug on to. There needed to be a distance. There needed to be a separation. In fact, he gives the explanation. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. There's this period between the death of Christ on the cross his burial in the, uh, in the tomb, and then from the resurrection to the time he ascends. There's this period of time which is very critical for us to be able to learn. Jesus did not ascend immediately. He went back and, you know, hold, 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 he made breakfast for his disciples, the resurrected Jesus. He had that moment with, Ju uh, with Judas, Thomas rather, I'm sorry, Thomas, who, had to, who doubted that he was really the Lord. 
And then according to Acts chapter 1, he went back to teach his disciples the remaining points that he needed to get to them while he was here on earth. He needed to teach them. Look at Acts chapter 1 and you'll find this about the kingdom. He needed to talk to them before he ascended up to heaven. So there were some things he needed to do. And he's telling her at this point, do not touch me. Stay away for a moment. Do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Jesus called Mary by her name. She recognized him. She wanted to throw herself on him, for that was the common embrace. However, that was impossible. Jesus pushed her back because it was not, not the time. The time is coming when once again we will embrace our Lord and all those that we have loved and cherished for so long. Church, there is a time when you and I will be able to celebrate together. Let me conclude. These four perspectives. The context here of the empty tomb and the context in which we're living that relates to the empty tomb is the following. Listen to me closely and then I'll close in prayer. Today, we have church buildings that are empty for fear of contamination. The tomb is empty to cast aside that fear with the assurance of eternal life. Today, church buildings are empty to keep us apart from one another because we're a danger to one another. Today, the tomb is empty to bring us all back to God and each other in sweet fellowship and reconciliation. Today, church buildings are empty and only a skeleton crew are allowed as long as they maintain appropriate distance from one another. Today, the tomb is empty with an open invitation to a great multitude that cannot be counted from every nation, every tribe, every people group, and every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes and holding palm branches, carrying out, crying out in loud voice, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Father, I thank you for the resurrected Christ. In this moment, Lord, where we celebrate that he is no longer in the grave, death has been defeated, has been defeated in Christ Jesus. The promises have been fulfilled. I pray, dear God, today for my brothers and sisters that we can today celebrate, be filled with joy as we realize, dear God, that Jesus has done exactly what he promised he was going to do. And that because of his resurrection, this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, we are filled with hope, knowing, dear Lord, that the victory is ours as well. I pray for my brothers and sisters that watch us, that your blessing, Lord, will be extended to them as well. That what we experience in this place, dear God, the assurances through scripture, through the preaching of the word, through the move of the Holy Spirit, would happen in our lives today that we might be drawn to you. We thank you, dear Lord. We celebrate that the tomb is empty. Praise the Lord. Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.